dividing public opinion. Are they empowering? And setting the rugby agenda. Do not forget where your history South Africa is. The enemy's desire is to try and erase it. Welcome. You're with the Room Dividers. Rugby was just rugby. No, 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 withdraw that comment. Then the Room Dividers were born. What have they done to speed up transformation? Amazingly, that's exactly where we are going to be picking up with this conversation. What exactly have they done to speed up transformation? In the famous words of Tando Manana, who will be listening in initially to this conversation here. He's in our PE studios. And of course, down in Cape Town, we've got the other room divider, Peter de Villiers, former Springbok coach, who will also be listening into this conversation. And of course, they will then take part in the show as well. Now, the sports model that's uh, implemented during the oppressive period of colonialism that was back then with apartheid and rugby continues to flourish and when i say that everyone will say what do you mean does it flourish in the post-apartheid democratic period now rugby policies as currently practiced can be classified as a racist structural institutional violence model now I put that in inverted commas because these are the views of brian williams who is visiting professor in Peace, Mediation, and Labor Relations, University of Sacred Heart, Gulu Uganda Chief Executive, Williams Labor Law Mediation. And he joins us now on the line to chat about this. I read through this and I was just like blown away. He'll be unpacking his thoughts. Brian Williams, thank you so much for joining us. Good evening and welcome to the show. Hi, good evening to you and to all your listeners. Uh, thank you for inviting me to share some ideas with you. What prompted you to head in this direction? And just give us a, a bit of an overview of what drove you to put pen to paper with this. Well, firstly, um, I was invited by the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation to be part of a roundtable conversation on racism in sport. And I then decided, okay, let me focus on rugby. And then I did an analysis to to understand what was actually happening in rugby. Spoke to a number of people who understand what's happening and who have uh, inside knowledge of rugby in South Africa. And I was absolutely me a week ago, let's say, in the last two weeks, was completely blown away by the extent to which we have not just a continuation, but a perpetuation of the apartheid model, a colonial model. And we have an entrenched job reservation act being applied in a democratic period. And the stats don't lie. Those are the public facts. If we begin to look at what is happening at SA Rugby nationally, in terms of the power and the decision makers, if you look at the provinces, if you look at Western province, uh, it's even more shocking. So what we have is the creation of a particular culture. But in order for us to understand the nature of why I classified um, racism in rugby as structural institutional violence, 
we need to also understand what violence is. If you will permit me just to, for a very few, few Yeah, few please, seconds. yeah, without a, without Firstly, a doubt. we need to understand violence. Most of us understand violence only in terms of direct violence. You know, you get beaten up, you get assaulted, killed, and so on, sexual violence. We understand that. But violence has two other insidious forms. Cultural violence, which is the violence which emerges from ideas, racism, xenophobia, um, all the other kinds of forms of, of violence which impacts on human dignity. So the violence which impacts on human dignity arises out of certain belief systems that people have. Um, I'm superior to you because of who you are. Um, and so it's embedded in a belief system. It's, it's part of a socialization and culture. So people believe this is, I'm, I'm more powerful, more, more superior to you. And so that kind of racism is is able to live because it's entrenched in a, a, an, an ideas system. Then you have structural violence. It's the violence that emerges from the way structures of society are organized, and those who are then given public power or institutional power use their public power to then deny rights to others, advance rights for a certain group, uh, suppress the rights of others, and use the power given to them, public power entrusted to them, to suppress the rights of others, to advance a certain particular group. So if you have people who have a particular mindset, mm. who have been socialized and cultivated in a certain kind of way, to believe certain things, and those same people are given power, they will perpetuate a particular model of reasoning. And the violence that emerges from structural violence has consequences in terms of poverty, in terms of inequality, in terms of how resources are allocated. So um, if we look at the, 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 the attack on the Constitution, it arises directly because now we say, how do we measure and evaluate what is happening in rugby? So fundamentally we say, okay, our tool of measurement here is the Constitution. Mm. And Section 9 in the Constitution, more specifically Section 9, Subsection 2, because that section is the section of the Constitution that every single South African should absolutely know. It deals with equality, but it deals with a particular kind of equality. It talks about substantive equality. Now, substantive equality is the equality that recognizes that there were historical forms of injustice, there are patterns of oppression, and there were consequences for groups of people, irrespective of whether they were good people or not so good people, it did not matter. Because of perceived characteristics of certain groups, those groups were targeted and discriminated against and oppressed and suppressed, and rights were denied to those groups. Section 9, subsection 2 of the Constitution provides for equality and effectively talks about that everyone should enjoy full and equal uh, everyone should have access to full and equal enjoyment of all rights. But in order for that to happen, measures must be put in place, corrective steps must be activated, laws, codes, regulations, policies must be brought into life to ensure that those who have been harmed and suffered injustice, they will now be given preferential treatment towards equality. So two laws become crucial the one law that governs equality in society in general, there's a particular law to say everyone in society 
for you to gain access to equality, use the instrument of the con- that arises from the Constitution to advance your equality rights mm-hmm. in the society, mm-hmm. in the workplace. Another law has been designed and developed called the Employment Equity Act. Now, this Employment Equity Act is very powerful. It's not powerful. It's very powerful. It sets out a transformation path for every employer. So the coaches, professional staff, support staff, everybody has the right to access what the Constitution has provided in terms of equality and then to use those mechanisms to advance their rights. So what we have a situation, if you look at the article, I mean, the, the paper I presented at the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation and the, and the, and the article I wrote in the, in the Cape August, mm. it sets out clearly what the factual position is. There are comparators between the apartheid period and the colonial period and uninterrupted that that model of oppression, that model of apartheid continues in rugby. So those who are the primary decision makers are the chief executives, the chief financial officers, the coaches, the support staff, the professional staff, the high-performance coaches, everyone. They're the group that actually helps to guide and inform how the board must reason. They're the ones who do the work, the operations, the administration, and they prepare all the information for members on the board. The board is to a large extent governed by what happens in the engine room of the operations and the administration. So, so who are the people who have the power to make those decisions? Lo and behold, exactly the same people who have power during the apartheid period. Now, it doesn't, so I'm not focusing on the individual here. I'm focusing on a group, on a class of reasoning, on a philosophy. That's the issue for me, not the individuals, because there are many, many good people uh, in rugby. Yes. But what is, in, what is significant here is the perpetuation of job reservation <laughs> and the perpetuation of a culture of racism through an apartheid model that existed before 1994. It continues into a democratic period. Again, not me saying that. I'm simply repeating what the facts are. What is also crucial, if you don't mind, I'm, I apologize if, I, if I'm just... No, 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 no. The, the, the thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a backseat because I think it is important for the listener to establish the background and the thought pattern before I ask any question or invite any of our guests in Cape Town as well as in PE to be a part of the discussion because I think just the layout and the way that you're laying it out is what I want to know. I'll come back and ask about the challenge of the Constitution uh, as well as going back to that employment equity report of the Western uh, Province Rugby as well, what that contains and why that is problematic. So without a doubt, please carry on, Brian. Okay. The other thing I also pass on to just share with you Post-1994, I was the, the National Department of Labor, was established, Tito Mbaweni was the first Minister of Labor, and he appointed me to be the first head of the National Department of Labor, but for the Western Cape. So I was very centrally involved in helping with the, with the laws, the new labor laws, and the Employment Equity Act was one of the laws that I was very involved with through the consultation processes within the Department of Labor. So that's the first thing. The second thing, just in terms of my own background, I was a trade unionist during the apartheid days. I was detained twice, charged in terms of the Internal Security Act. And I worked as a unionist for a long time. And 
in my current work that I do professionally, labor law is an important field. And for about eight, nine years, I was also a part-time commissioner of the CCMA. So I just want to make it clear that I understand what I'm talking about. Um, uh, my mother's now, you know, she's passed on. She's saying, please tell them, my boy, I also have a master's degree in law from Stellenbosch with distinctions in all the modules and with an emphasis in understanding equality law. Mm-hmm. So when I speak both as a former sports person in the SACOS period and looking at the facts of inequality and the violence in- inflicted on those whose dignities are directly affected, and those who are silenced through the culture of violence, if a culture don't speak, don't raise these things, these things, there will be a consequence for you. So if we look at what are the duties that the employers have as set out in terms of what the law, what the, not you and me, what mm. the equality law imposes and sets out. I want to just go to one section, which is, I'll read it out to you. It's section 15, subsection, section 15, Subsection 2B, Roman, Roman numeral 2. It says, the duty of the employer is to retain and develop people from designated groups and to implement appropriate training measures, including measures in terms of an act of parliament providing for skills development. So two things are important, which I want to focus on. There is a duty, a constitutional duty in terms of equality for all these provincial units and SA rugby to retain people from designated groups. Now, designated groups are the groups identified in the, in the Employment Act, Equity Act as the groups that must draw benefit as a consequence of historical oppression and injustice and discrimination which would be blacks, and, and the term black is a legal term mm. that collectively is used as an umbrella for people who are so-called colored, Indian, and African. Okay? So when, when, the, when the law refers to a designated group, it refers to those groups that were previously historically disadvantaged. There is a legal obligation to focus on ensuring that there is preferential treatment not, not me saying so, preferential treatment. In other words, there is an obligation, a peremptory obligation, a constitutional obligation to advance equality by ensuring that you create the kind of resources to protect, retain, protect, and advance those who, have, who come from groups who, are, who have historically been, been disadvantaged as a consequence of discrimination. Now, now, there are also consequences, significant consequences, if they do not, those administrators do not do what is required in the law. In fact, the very first fine, there's a, there, there are fines, the very first fine for a first offense mm-hmm. um, is 1.5 million rand, okay? If certain sections of the Employment Equity Act are not um, complied with, and I will just read them quickly. But, I'm, I'm but not who, who actions them today. quickly, Brian, just before you, you yeah, read Yeah, the that. Department of Labor. All you do is uh, the Department of Labor, acts, for example, if someone writes to the Minister of Labor and say, look, yeah. please send your inspectors to go and do an inspection, they are, they are compelled to open up their books. And if there's certain other sections contravened, it's 1.5 million or 2%. Or sorry, the greater of 1.5 million, or two percent of the employers turn over. The greater. Hmm. 
So there are powerful, powerful ideas and words that reside within the Constitution and our equality laws. Regrettably, very few people are making use of these laws to protect the, the, the transformation agenda in rugby, in sport, and elsewhere in South Africa. Sure. I'll stop there for a moment. Okay. All right. Um, I think it might be time as well to take a quick break. Uh, if you don't mind, Brian, you'll stick around with us here. Brian Williams, uh, yeah, professor, yeah, yeah. Uh, is on the line. Professor uh, Brian Williams here uh, to chat about all things. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing, really, what will be unpacked. And as I said, I'll bring in uh, the thoughts of uh, Peter de Villiers, who himself, I'm sure, uh, would have encountered, would know, lightly more than anybody else. And, of course, being a, a black springbok is what Tando Manano is all about. And uh, the fact that we have him on the room dividers... Uh, is, is more than a blessing as well. It's an important discussion that we're currently having on the Room Dividers. Uh, Professor Brian Williams, the Gulu Uganda Chief Executive, Williams Labor Law Mediation. That's the conversation we're having right now, and it's quite funny when you listen back to the clips with the Room Dividers. The issue of transformation has been long coming. Maybe it hasn't delivered. In case it's not even a case of maybe, it hasn't. If whatever we're hearing here from the professor, we are abiding by. And you look at the Western Province rugby. And, and you stated quite categorically here uh, when you talk about Western Province rugby appearing to be one of the main culprits. And it's regrettable that there is no ethical transformation towards substantive equality for coaches, professional categories, as well as uh, support staff. And I look at the breakdown, 100% white apartheid colonial period. Why are they so far away in terms of just the numbers here and the challenge of the Constitution? Uh, you're asking me? Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Prof. Yeah. I, I'm back with I, you. I'm, I'm going to include the guys in just a second uh, because I think oh, they okay. also would want to be a yeah, part yeah. of this conversation. I think that there are two things here. There is a systemic failure on the part of the leadership of rugby collectively, not an individual issue of an individual. Mm. It's a collective failure, firstly, on the part of the leadership, to provide the leadership. They must lead in terms of the Constitution. They mustn't lead in terms of some other document. It's only the Constitution that must guide them. And more so because we, we, we are a country that comes from a troubled past. So the Constitution is the light that must ensure that everybody follows that light. And equality is in the Constitution. I will not be surprised if none of the board members and none of the administrative staff actually had any training in terms of understanding what the Constitution requires in terms of equality-based transformation. That clubs themselves in Western Province and perhaps also in the country do not understand what the requirements of the Constitution are in terms of ensuring equality and ensuring that their policies and their practices and their procedures are aligned to the Constitution to ensure equality. So my sense is that there, there is a, a systemic failure and perhaps and or refusal to ensure that the Constitution is the guiding light. Because then by default, mm. you create the vacuum that allows an oppressive past to continue to dominate. And you allow, by default and through gross negligence, a kind of complicity with an oppressive system that then continues to perpetuate and multiply itself. And so within that culture, people become afraid to speak up. 
afraid to speak out, afraid to defend the Constitution because there are consequences. So the coach can, be in, can end up being isolated from the power relationships which is derived from the way resources are allocated through the administration. And so very soon, if the coach tries to speak up, for example, that coach can easily be isolated and undermined through starvation, through resource uh, allocation suddenly not being there. All kinds of things can suddenly go wrong because we want certain coaches to fail. Well, it sounds like uh, it sounds like you're talking about um, the gentleman who's one of our guests, uh, the former Springbok coach uh, Peter De Villiers, because he he kind of went through a lot of those trials and tribulations. Let me welcome Peter De Villiers. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for your patience and listening in. I just thought it's going to be important for us to establish uh, the direction, then bring you in, and I just found an opportune moment as well uh, to bring you in here for your thoughts. Good evening. Evening, Robert. Good evening, Doc. Prof, what are you yelling? I'm telling you now, you've got all the information in your head and, and, and we need that information outside there, you know. Yeah. Sure. If you look at if you look at the few things that he said, the first thing is that um, public violence, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the powerful cultural structures that are in place. If you if you if you if you if you if you bring five black boys in a system where there are a hundred white boys then the culture that will, will stand out is, 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 is dominating it. So that five guys that will come back to the, to the, to the um, uh, constitution or, or where, they, where they come from, they will, they will lose their, their own culture. They will criticize their own culture and they will look at the other culture as if it is the only culture. I'm not saying it's a right or wrong. What I'm just trying to say is, is, is that that is what's happening in rugby that you you make the numbers so big on the one side so that the other guys have to fall in that kind of culture so that if they do, don't, um, they're going to be uh, 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 penalized. Um, at this moment, I've got a, a bruised spirit of those kind of, 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 of public violence uh, that, that exists. Another thing, the systematic failure that, that was led, it, 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 that led in terms of the constitution, you know, why aren't our sport ministry, why don't they intervene in assessment of performance, uh, um, of the performance clause of, of, of coaches, of administrators, for, for, for to, to, to achieve that kind of goals that, that, that our constitution has been set for, for us to, to be there. And then the last thing I want to put in is that um, <clears throat> our primary decision makers, um, uh, there is a law, Section 9, the equity, equity law or equality law. Mm. If you look at that equality law, the unwritten laws is the ones that govern rugby at the moment. And that is where people come in and because they're not assessed by something that is, that, is, that is legal, that is constitutional, that is there. And the people in charge, um, you become the MEC of sport, you become for what? I mean, that is to govern that kind of sport codes so that each and every sport code has been run at the same level. So, so yeah, I think we have um, neglected a lot of things. We gave, we like free runs chickens. Those who can afford it, go buy it. All the others has been, has been, has been, has been forced to go buy bulk at some, someplace else, you know. Interesting comments, Prof. Um, your, your reaction to what Peter de Villiers has just stated now, and I think he, he, he warms up to a lot of the ideals that you've put forward. Well, thank you very much for that. I think the, what is crucial here is the, um, the, there is a, a culture, a living culture, it's reflected in behavior. 
uh, which is dominant in rugby. If you look at the rugby we have from Western Province rugby, it's not the Sackos Western Province. It's not the it's not the rugby that came from a liberation movement culture. Everyone fitted into the existing dominant culture of an apartheid model and tried to figure out how to make you know, those those resources work for transformation. But it, it won't work unless people are committed to living the principles of the Constitution. So even though the Constitution exists, the reflection of the Constitution does not live inside rugby, and I'm sure inside sport and elsewhere. So what Peter's saying is correct in terms of culture, in terms of behavior, in terms of reasoning. So you have a new coding system that takes place, a whole new a modernization of prejudice that begins to reflect itself. So there's not an obvious thing where they don't obviously say the K word, and they don't obviously say the H word, but it's reflected in behavior, it's reflected in reasoning, and it's reflected in practices of exclusion and decision-making. And so the consequences of that is that you can see SA rugby throughout South Africa is a continuation of an apartheid model. In Western province, a continuation of, a, of an apartheid model in relation to coaches, professional staff, and decision-makers. And clearly, in terms of uh, Western province's own report, its own uh, indications of the Employment Equity Report, they stayed there. They have made no provision for training, yet that is a requirement in the law, that they must make provision for training mm-hmm. and give preferential treatment to those who have been discriminated against and disadvantaged, those who are part of a designated group. What about this role? Uh, okay, let me, let me bring Tanda Manana here. Tanda, you've also been listening quite closely. Um, you, you brought something quite interesting a couple of hours ago when you posted the whole issue of strategic transformation plan and what's happened to that, delivering rugby's future. And obviously that future has not quite been delivered. And fascinating stuff here uh, that's been brought by Professor Brian Williams uh, in, in helping us understand a lot. And there is a lot that we have to digest here. Mr. Manana, good evening good evening rob and good evening to prof as well as to the coach i think what's very important here rob as i hit the ground running is Mm. after his introduction it's clear to me that the system has been decoded and it's been done so for a while it's just a matter of people like prof are sort of now going to be in a position to start opening other avenues and through the labor side of things going forward it's not the first time we've had discussions where we've discussed in terms of coaches all over uh, the 14 provinces, even within the SARO setup. You might even look at a Springbok management team, which you'll only find within their conformity. You'll only have a guy called Mzwandelestik within the coaching structure. And also his role is not a role of real power within the side where if he opens, everyone listen. It's been also a role that has been open for him. Why are we still here, Robert Marau? It's another question. I think Prof is coming as someone that is really not within the rugby structures. And the real people for me, and I've always said, are people that were given power. They've isolated themselves from the people that send them to come and serve South African rugby. And for me, that has been the fundamental problem where we've erred in so many ways and we are unable to uh, sort of erase those mistakes and we let it go and we're saying that hopefully someone will take the bait on. 
Unfortunately, it hasn't been happening, Robert Marau. I think for me, what is important is we have a very different kind of racism taking place where what is currently happening, you find that everything is done in a secluded manner where there are discussions, there are separate meetings for them to be able to change decisions of people that sit in the Executive Council. If I look at the South African Executive Council of Saru, it's fully transformed where you are able to find there's a lady called Iman Khrunewal that is in the in the team. Monde Tabata, Vanessa Doble. You know, there's so many of them. Peter Kuhn. Uh, these are people, are not white people that are mentioned. It's our people that should have the interest based on what they sit down and approve. They have a transformation committee that is there to run everything and report and change where it's needed. And one of the fundamental principles that comes from that transformation committee says, and I state here, Robert Marawa, it says to them that the transformation committee has no decision-making authority. However, has the formal delegated authorities and mandated by the executive council as are necessary to perform its role and responsibility in order to achieve the objective as set out in the South African Rugby Union Strategic Transformation Plan, which Robert Marawa have gone through the small booklet. This was a decision taken by all 14 unions, which make up South African Rugby Union. Unfortunately, along the way, we got sidetracked, Robert Marawa. We were fed uh, little chocolates. We were fed little uh, jelly babies along the way. And we started smiling. And things have took a different turn. And for me, I'm saying once again, Robert Marawa, is here is a situation where we cannot run away from. South Africa is far away from being fully transformed. 2019 is only next year. The season is finished after Saturday, Robert Marawa. And yet they spoke of 50% that will be there in 2019. Nothing has happened. They spoke of coaches all round going to 40% across all provinces, across all franchises. You go and look, just in 2018, seven Curry Cup coaches, all of them are Caucasian. You go and look at the four franchises, coaches, that are busy coaching at super rugby level. All four of them are white. You go and look at all national teams, Robert Marau. You look at from the director, from the coach, Rasi Rasmus. You go to Sean Roo, who is the SA Under-20 coach. You go down to Neil Powell, SA7s, Robert Marau. Those are all white coaches. All of the head coaches in this country are white. And yet what he brings to us, it says to us, we need to go and knock at another door. We need to bring in labor. Because I, my understanding is, I cannot see SA women's rugby team been coached by a Stan Rubenheimer. He's a colored guy, but he's been given the woman. And we spoke about the, the, the woman rugby. Mm. Is they do not have an interest in why. That is why you'll find that a colored guy has been put in that position. Yet he's very much highly qualified than all the others, or some of them that are part of the coaching staff within all these national teams. You look at the SA7's women team, Paul Delport. He's a colored guy, Robert Marawa. But when it comes to the real deal, and that is the man's side, the SA schools, the SA under 20, the SA 7s, and the Springboks. You won't find them. Because why, Robert Marawa, they've managed to decode the system of making sure that there is a clear path of opportunities for deserving coaches, Robert Marawa. I'm not even going to the side of administration. It's even worse. I'm not even going to the side of where you find players being given enough opportunities for them to come through. What you will find is if you want to make a black player a captain this is what they will say is he's 
strange enough, a black player, if he's selected uh, as captain based on merit, it is regarded as transformation. Yet a white player, when he's selected as captain, it is based on it is merit. Dividing once again, Robert Marawa, that's the rule. Divide the rule. Divide these oaks. And that for me is a big concern. And these are discussions. And I'm happy that Peter has brought this thing of the sports ministry. How long, Robert Marawa, has the sports ministry continued to isolate itself from South African rugby, even giving them a pass mark where they did not even deserve a pass mark, Robert Marawa. And that was before the, the current sports ministry that is currently in place. And that was the one that took over Ofikile Mbalula uh, and so forth. So for me, those are worrying factors that they've become untouchables, Robert Marawa. They've thrown the, the, the keys deep into the sea, but history will judge them very harshly and that for me is a major major concern i looked at a situation where i went to east london to quickly Kansane. quickly quickly Manana. Let, let me just uh, take a break here because uh, there, there are a lot of issues and i want uh, professor brian williams to to absorb what both yourself as well as uh, peter de villiers have said and when you come back from the break let's pick up on that gentlemen because uh, all of you are raising very important points in a discussion uh, that i think on a national platform is long overdue but also from a sports ministry perspective, as Peter de Villiers has said, what then is their role? All right, uh, Professor Brian Williams, uh, who's still with us, is going to give us his final take on everything that you've heard. Very impassioned you heard as well, Prof. Thank you so much again for your patience and chatting to us from both uh, Tanda Banana as well as uh, uh, Peter de Villiers. Just in, in closing, though, where does this leave us and what's the next step of what needs okay. to be done? I'm very, very pleased that you asked that because the, the, the question must arise. Given the clear attack on the Constitution, the clear contempt being showed for the Constitution within rugby, two government departments have leading vanguard responsibilities. It's the Department of Sport. They have a duty to ensure that all sport in South Africa is aligned to the Constitution in every aspect of what they do. So the first thing is you and others who have access to the sports ministry must ask them, how are they executing their mandate and what can they do to ensure ethical transformation and transformation aligned to equality as set out in the Constitution, both the sports ministry and also the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor has... Um, greater oversight, they actually have the legislative power and authority to do an inspection of every single sports administration, every single employer within rugby to demand that they show where are the transformation plans in relation to employment equity plans. Your transformation is based on an employment equity plan. And as I said earlier, if those employment equity plans do not exist, and there's even a first contravention. Uh, every sports uh, structure can be fined the greater of 1.5 million or 2% of the employer's turnover. So if they, if they don't want to transform because they believe it's the correct thing to do, then they must transform because there will be a punitive action if they do not transform. So sports ministry has a, has a duty. Department of Labor has an overriding direct responsibility to go in and demand every report on transformation, unemployment equity plans for every single uh, sports uh, body that employs people within 
South African rugby. Professor Brian Williams, all I can say is thank you so much indeed. It's been enlightening. I think the entire nation has been gripped by every single word of what you've said. Uh, please do accept our invitation again when we do call upon you. We'll be finding a strategic time uh, with hopefully the ministry or the ministries as stated part of the discussion because I think we really need to unpack it in that way. But thank you for sharing and shedding light on all that you've said tonight. Thank you so much for inviting me. Really appreciate it. And to your listeners, thank you. Professor Brian Williams. Thank you, Prof. Thanks thanks so much. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Prof. Thank you, Tando. Okay. All right. You'll hear those voices again after the news uh, coming through. Tanda Banana as well as uh, Peter de Villiers, uh, former Springbok coach as well. So thanks to the visiting professor uh, in peace. Mediation and Labor Relations University of Sacred Gulu, Uganda, Chief Executive of Williams Labor Law Mediation. All right, that's what you're going to be hearing later on as well when Mudubi gives us all the latest news headlines. Thanks to him once again for dishing it up. Uh, we do have in Cape Town uh, Peter de Villiers, former Springbok coach, Tanda Bananas in our PE studios, uh, all part of the room dividers. Uh, gentlemen, I think. You know, very honest discussions, and I'm looking at social media, people responding to it uh, here. Ulwandile Mchigelisa was saying that uh, Jonathan Mukwena uh, should be coaching in the Curry Cup. Vuyo Zanga was overlooked, and Neil Paul took over the Sevens. We are very far from the targets. And as for Dion Davids, he should coach the Bulls. He says, Rob, we have to get the minister in. Uh, Lisiba says you can feel the passion that uh, Tando has when speaking uh, rugby on the room divider saying that there were fed chocolates and jelly sweets thinking transformation uh, is going to happen but none happened whatsoever Lady Scorley says wow the discussion on transformation in rugby and coaching is the most truth I've heard on radio this whole week these guests are fire not not falling on deaf ears I can tell you that much Peter De Villiers maybe let me start off with you the worst experience you would have had being in charge, being at the helm, and maybe what you currently had after that as a successful black coach would have been what? You know, Robert, there's three things that's really standing out um, from what Brian said. The one thing is um, what we missed is that that, that rugby um, has become a professional sport. And that's why that's why it, the labor laws can, can, can actually come in there. Because it's 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 something that we overlooked. Um, we thought it was a sport. We took the professional. We misjudged us the professional part of it. And then section fifteen um, uh, point two, when he said about about the skills development, um, if you look at if you look at what what we've been fed, um, assistant coach of this and 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 there and. And then you have to abide by the laws and the rules and you have later on you have to say the things that, that the people want to hear so that you can just be part of, of, of the system. And when you stand up and, 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 and speak your your thoughts, then even your own people sideline you and, 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 and put you away and, and nobody afterwards even think of, of what contribution you could have been made for your for your own for your own um, community. And then the last thing that's very, very important for me, for me is the preferential treatment that you spoke about. Um, I went to, to Kayalicha uh, uh, over the weekend and I, and I, and I um, to the Steve Swete uh, tournament. And the safety in sport that you need to have, you have to need to first apply to, you have to have a certificate if you want to coach, if you want to refer, you need to have the same certificate. And I'm telling you now the kind of fields that, that people were playing on, on Saturday. Sunday. I'm telling you now, if that is not 
an indictment of the human rights that's been stolen from people. Hmm. And, and, and I'm telling you now, I watched that game and I said to somebody else, I'm going home now um, because what these guys are doing on this field, I mean, if you look at, at, at any, not even any animals will walk over that field, man, that they want people to play a tournament which is named after such a great uh, politician. And, and and then it brings you to, to, to the fact that what Brian said is that if you if you apply the law that they shouldn't play on that kind of fields because of the safety of the game, the referee shouldn't allow the game to start, then you steal from those 12 to, 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 to 16 teams who played there, you steal from them a moment where they can go into drugs and do all those kind of violence acts and stuff, stuff like that. So what do you do? Uh, do you do you do you don't allow them to play or do they play and then the human rights has been stolen from them to me it was i, I said to them <clears throat> i'm not coming back to kayalicha i'm not coming back to watch rugby here until rugby has been played on a proper field and that is the one thing we need to fight for but they still expect them to play though regardless don't they peter in, they do in, expect in the them to play in the conditions and the pitch that they you you've just described now well, I'm telling you, they 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 do it. They enjoy it so much. They, they the passion that they have for the game. That's why they're doing it. But I'm telling you now, it's not the right thing, and it's been it's been behind closed doors. So so the city of Cape Town, where are they? If they really want to treat these people like like human beings, hmm. they won't allow them even to come into the gates. They will close the gates and say you can't play on fields like that. I understand there was drought, but I do understand there was drought everywhere. But the other fields is, is, is actually playable. And we need to, in, to, to, to insist on, 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 our, on, our, on our fight for, for our human rights. We need to insist that those things is in place. All right. Let, let me quickly take a call here, yeah, Patrick. And then Nick, uh, we've lost Nick. Uh, Nick had something interesting to share with us. But uh, Patrick is in Sasselberg. Good evening. Hey, Tara, Rob. How are you? Good evening. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining the Room Dividers. Great. Hello, Tando. Hello, uh, Peter. Hello, sir. Good day. Listen, Rob, now, if there's one man that has been hard done by FA Rugby, ne? Peter De Villiers, that man achieved so much, ne? especially during our tours down to New Zealand, the victories we had over the All Blacks. Ne? And these racists in FA Rugby, they sidelined him, they made sure he doesn't get any opportunity whatsoever. They made sure they called him out, they chill him out totally. Ne? And you know the bad part, they do all this ne, with the help of the ANC. You know Mbalula, he knew exactly why you wanted him all this time. Ne? And he knew, you're going to ask him all these questions that the professor has raised. You know, So all these people, ne, they are helping these apartheid people. I don't know what is the deal of the ANC with these apartheid people that we should transform our country. You know, we're yearning for this because we're going to be the All Blacks. You know, if we use all the talent in the country, we're going to be dominating world rugby. But these racists at the helm are helped by this ANC government of ours. That's my contribution, Rob. Great one. Thank you so much, though, Patrick. Uh, Manana, let me bring you here because I I think it is refreshing what uh, Patrick says, and I agree. one of the hardest blows, no former coach of a Springbok SA rugby team deserves the treatment that Peter de Villiers has been handed out by the authorities. We've dealt with 
you know, even some of the franchises being offered money so that they do not accept him as a coach. Rob, I'm going to say one thing, and I think many people are listening, including uh, Coach Peter DeVillias. There's a term that I hate, a rugby term. We need to be patient. Now I'm asking a simple question. Patience for what, Rob? <laughs> patience for what? You tell me what patience. I mean, you find that after you've invested so much, and I'm going to make an example of Peter DeVillias. He not only coached the Springbok, Rob Maram, he coached the junior Springbok. He won the SA Under-21 uh, competition, IRB. That's an international uh, a competition that he won as a coach. And for me, it, 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 it borders on, on, on a very thin line that our same, and I'm saying again that we, we've allowed this close-knit system to destroy Peter de Villiers, to make sure that only ashes remain. For example, Robert Marau, I was very much hurt to find that Peter is coaching Zimbabwe. It can't be Robert Marau. And yet you find that there's so many of these private schools that would go on and hire other coaches and pay them close to 200,000 per month. And yet they would make sure that a guy with his vast experience, because he's also aware that he may not and cannot coach the Springboks after he's had his four-year tenure. He's done that. But what has he done wrong, Robert Marau? One, he's expressed his views, Robert Marau. This is a guy that, uh, despite all odds, uh, after our president, the, the then president, Hoskins, had made mention that it was not only for rugby reason. That, for me, was also a, a, a blatant uh, a sort of shift of words, not from him, but also uh, being enticed by those that have said, fine, go with this Peter de Villiers, but this is what you have to say. For me, it, it borders on very much thin line. Another thing, Robert Marau, an example I want to make, which is a living example, take Peter de Villiers out, mm. Dion Davids. Dion Davids, Robert Marawa, is coaching the current Southern King side. I tell you, I've seen the guy go through hell and back. Currently in the Pro 14. He is the head coach. He only has one assistant coach. Peter De Villiers is in studio in Cape Town, Robert Marawa. He only has a two-money boy. And then he has a doctor, a physio, and a manager of the team. If I look at the Glasgow Warriors that was in town, I counted Robert Marawa. They had 12 supporting staff. This is the question for everyone that's listening. Which white coach would want to work with just an assistant coach at an international tournament like the Pro 14? No one, Robert Marau. What they will want, they will want a skills coach. They won't want a defensive coach. They will want someone to give them proper diet, dieting coach that is part of the system, a backline coach, a forwards coach, and also a lineup coach before you can find that you have a head coach, Robin Mara. This is what is happening. And what they have is a nerve of saying, we need to be patient. I, I can't be patient, Robin Marawa. I can't be patient with people who, for me, are using the racial divide as we go along. Who are not even saying, brother, let's meet halfway. Let's embrace. There's never halfway. You. There's never halfway. And, and that is part of the problem. And you're absolutely right. Is that when does this patience ever run out? When has this giving ever stop as well? Let me quickly take Nick. I'm going to come back to you guys in a second. Uh, Mike in... Cape Town, good evening. Hi, Rob, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Share your experience. You see, Peter de Villiers has mentioned a very important thing regarding this unplayable pitches for children. Those pitches damage children. They make the children to be injury-prone. We also see it in soccer, you know, where there's just no improvement on 
the quality of pitches where we try to teach these people or the young children sport. You know, on what sort of pitch do they teach young Europeans rugby and soccer? On what sort of pitches are we teaching African children rugby or soccer? There's a big difference between the quality of, of, of pitches. Uh, when, we, when we saw that big fire there in Naizna, we saw South African banks flying people down to come and help with the fire. There was a fire in Kayalicha over the weekend. Which corporate company has flown people from Joburg to come and help the situation in Kayalicha? You know, it's, 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 the treatment is so different. Uh, uh, like I said, there was this big uh, fire in, in, in Naizna a few months ago. Banks uh, put, uh, flew people from Joburg to come and help with the, with, 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 with the dire situation. Yes, uh, a thousand plus people who have lost their, their shakes. We can't even call it homes because those are shakes. You know, in a country where somebody went to prison for 27 years for the sake of human rights, and 30 years later, we still find the same situation where children get, get taught football and rugby on dangerous pitches. I don't know, you know, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, what, what Peter has said about those pitches mm. is a hard reality. But what, what 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 sort of measures did you take? I mean, if you if you dealing with your own personal situation and and your kid was exposed to that, were you able to challenge, ask questions? What were you able to do? Uh, Give me Robert, Robert let, let me tell you, I've written so many emails to the authorities. But if you don't have money and if you and if you're an unknown, nobody takes you serious. I mean, I've got a whole bible of emails here. Can I give you yes, my email address? Um, MSW. I've got it, Robert. I can forward it to please, you. Please. These things go back a long, long time ago. And, and, and again, what's really, what really disturbing is the fact that if you go to Europe yeah. and see on what sort of pitch does a seven-year-old in Europe get taught rugby or soccer, mm. and you come yeah. back to South Africa and you look at the same seven-year-old, the African seven-year-old, and see... And, and government is sort of like just not aware of this. I think they're aware, ah, but like they do at the at the highest level. But please, Mike, whatever you do, just send me those emails, sure. all of them, msw.sabcsport.co.za. Okay. You will see no reply. And no Safa reply, no Saru reply, nobody reply. No, it's fine. They're going to they're gonna reply because they're going to be put on radio. Look, we don't want a mudsling. All we want to no, do is... No, no, no. We just, we just want... We, exactly. And I, I, I wish we could have a slot on... I'm happy it's on live radio, but I would also wish we could have a slot on national TV, on the SABC channel, where we talk about these things to make government aware that we're aware of these things, you know? I would like this to be, to be, to be, to be, to be, to be spoken about more often. Don't worry, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll bring uh, cameras, we'll have it live streaming, we, even if it's not <laughs> on television, with many ways of skinning this cat these days. So No, man, yeah. somebody, somebody, I believe, somebody sitting with the money or some department is sitting with the money to make a small difference on this picture. That's going to be a big difference, Mike. Thank you so much indeed. Peter De Villiers, let me bring you back here because what both you and Tanda Banana were, were talking about is really the root of why people say, but you know, black people don't really play rugby, is that if you mm. go to Kailicha and you are exposed to that that you were exposed to, and there's legacy trust funds uh, that have been set aside and we were wanting and vying to host yet another Rugby World Cup uh, with all sorts of presentations and promises, etc., etc. Those are all big talk about big things that actually amount to 
literally nothing. Robert, you know what? I listened to your news earlier. Um, the the DA is now fighting with Patricia Delal, who's already already been um, uh, she laid down and 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 she's not part of them anymore. But they are now wasting so much money on to show how right they were, and it won't change the future of the country or the people in the Western Cape. But the people in Kalicha still have to play on those kind of fields. Why don't you use the money for the people? If if our government can just realize that they are there for the people so to make a difference in the lives of the people if coaches can realize that if rugby administrators can realize that the only reason is they are there for is is to fulfill somebody else's dream at this at this uh, moment we all all me included we are dream stealers and then we expect people not to go to violence, not to go to gangsterism, not to go to all these little things because we have stolen their dreams. We have, 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 have enticed them and, 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 and made them to become nothing. And because they are so good in doing nothing now, killing people, we want to make laws on that now. Manana. Rob, the, 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 at some point... The accountability factor comes in where, where Mike is worried, where Peter de Villiers is seen firsthand in 2018 on the 23rd of October. He comes and gives us that report of his Kailicha tour. And it's not encouraging. And yet we get fed so much hot air about how well people have done. And they want pats on backs and they want singing of national anthems and cameras and all sorts of great things. But the bottom line is that the progress moving forward is a problem, Manan. Rob, for me, what, what, what sickens me and also what hurts the most is to know that every year and every year, year in, year out, we have to read with the undersigned. That's how, that's how you'd normally start a communique. Declare. What are you declaring if you're not going to follow up with what you've started? And that's been the, pro the problem, Robert Mara, is you've found that things have, have started. For example... Does South African rugby have a development department? No, it doesn't have Robert Mara. Then how are they developing the game? Because that was the f that is always part of the whole thing. Is you've got to have a development structure that has been there, that has unearthed these gems of players for you. You know what is happening? Is they don't give a heck about a development department anymore, Robert Mara. Why? Because their interest is very simple. It is to make sure that the top 20 schools in this country get every opportunity to be seen, to be televised. But what is important is the development structure are not even watered for them to start growing up. That is why you find that players are even so obsessed just to play Robert Marau on the grounds that Peter de Villiers speak about is because no one cares about that department anymore. It's a departmental issue that is a Saru development program. Yes, there's the VUCAs, Robert Marawa, but those are not development structures, Robert Marawa. You used to have development structures where clubs are able to go on a tour and on a, on a weekly provincial amateur league. That is no longer there. The, also, the development sevens team, where you are able to see and unearth the more of the, the, the players coming through. Now, what you find, you find a only secluded. Next year, for example, there won't be under-19 and under-21 
uh, provincial setup. There will only be an under 20, which means, Robert Marawa, there will be a lot of fat being cut, both from players, from coaches. All those things are streamlined. Fine. Where does that money go to? Can I ask a simple question? Mm. Where do you think the money is going to? Do you know what is happening, Robert Marawa? That money is going to a fund that will have a top-up to be able to pay a Dwayne for Mierling. It's a reality, Robert Marau. How does that happen? Re- reality, number one. Number two, I spoke about this name again, and I'm going to repeat it. Skalk, Be- Skalk Brits is unattached to any union at this stage. He's going to go to the end of the year tour. Guys like Akar van der Merve, Chili Boy Ralapele, who are attached and who have their services right here in this country for example Akar van der Merf is a white male Robert Marau who I'm very impressed he made a move to go from Lions to Sharks to improve and also better his opportunity to play the green and gold what happens a 37 year old is selected ahead of him he'll be the oldest he'll join Victor Medfield as one of the oldest players to have played at a rugby world cup and yet you leave the future where we are looking at 2023 in France where is our thinking Robert Marau are we thinking in front of our feet or we have a long-term goal for example, you are then also looking at the Gio Aplon, who, for example, for whatever reason, his name did not appear when the squad was announced. It was held in. Could be going to the end of the year, too. It remains to be seen. Mm. Where you have a Sergio Peterson. He's been put on standby. Standby for what, Robert Marawa? He's been the form Karika player. Why must he be on standby? For what? Why can't the guy who's playing in Japan be on standby and we take the current guy that we are aware of? Those are the inequalities that are constantly being allowed. An equal opportunity approach for me, Robert Marau, mm. is what they need to follow. This is are what we, they wrote down. Are we able to pick up on these points? I don't know if Peter de Villiers will, will offer us one more session before he goes back to Zimbabwe. Very quickly, Peter, would you be able to room divide with us next, next week, Tuesday? <laughs> Let's see if we can do that. Let's see if we can do it. Robert, can I just add something very quickly here? 20 if you look at our last game against the All Blacks, everybody said that that uh, the, the replacement um, was wrong. Mm. I agree with them. The replacement was not the wrong replacement. It was the wrong time. If you play against the All Blacks, your last replacement should be at 60th minute, not later than that. Because... Because uh, the intensity of the game is too high. If you make that same replacements against England or, 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 or Australia, uh, Wales and those people, then you will win the game. But Ireland, New Zealand, and, and replacement has become an art. Now suddenly, we are putting the, 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 the defeat in front of the players and not in front of how the management didn't work it out, what and how they should do it, you know. Those kind of experiences we do have in our country, but nobody's stepping into it. We want to make the mistakes first, and now we lose a test like this. We take away the hope for our country, and after we've lost a test like this, we now know, okay, this is what we should do. And when we could have tapped into the experience, yeah. Mm. You want to nail those players, guys. I've got to drop it there. Thank you so much indeed for coming through. Peter de Villiers, Tanda Banana, uh, you know, studios respectively uh, in Cape Town as well as uh, Port Elizabeth. Brian Fokeng is standing by because, you know what, it's Telcom Knockout.